I think that what's really interesting is I don't hear back very much from the positive. Mm. I get, I, it's interesting. I'll get crickets. You know, you send that email to celebrate or you send that note and the thing and it's like just the signature, yeah. you know, nothing. And so it's interesting. I wonder if parents are thinking, well, I don't want to jump on. Yep. You're right. My kid's the <laughs> best thing. You're yeah. totally, it's interesting. And so I guess I definitely get more of a reaction if I say something for the one negative thing you say versus the 10 positive. Yeah. I don't get like, no one looks at me and says, well, she's great because I'm great. Yeah, that's right. it. So when it reflects in that conversation, you go, wow, that sounds a lot like me and yeah. that, you know, and that makes sense. Welcome to the People People Podcast. Podcast. We're on a mission to spread human connection. Hi, welcome to the People People Podcast. Welcome to this episode. This is Matt Batson, your host. I'm really glad to be here with you. I've interviewed Krista Hashemi for today's episode. Now, Krista is a teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. She actually teaches one of my kids in elementary school. And man, she is fantastic. I love this episode. I love this conversation. This interview gets real. It offers some kind of heady moments and a ton of heart moments, right? You'll love, too, the way that Krista ends the episode with this little anecdote about a note that she got from a student. I think you'll absolutely love that. Hey, just a reminder, the People People podcast is a production of the Social Excellence Project. You can learn all about the Social Excellence Project. And for that matter, you can learn what the heck social excellence is, if you've never heard that word before, that phrase before, at social-excellence.com. You can get to the exact same place by going to peoplepeoplepodcast.com. I want you to check that out. I want you to go there and explore the videos, the blogs, the articles, and the other podcast episodes that are there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I know you're out there. I know you're one of us, right? You're one of us people, people. You're one of us people who understand that human connection, real human connection, meaningful, heart-to-heart human connection is what matters. That's what will make us successful, but not just successful, fulfilled in our lives. Our world desperately needs more of you, more people who are actively and intentionally trying to build meaningful, real human connection. People like Krista Hashemi, the guest on this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. I mean, dig into, love this episode of the People People Podcast. Welcome to the People People Podcast. This is Matt Matson, your host. I'm pretty excited about this conversation. Uh, do you remember that teacher you had? Do you remember that teacher you had maybe in elementary school or high school? Not the teacher necessarily that, I don't know, that we're best at teacher things. I'm, I'm sure my guess is the best at teacher things. But do you remember the teacher that just was so loving, so caring, so thoughtful and paid attention to you and like saw you? My guest today is Krista Hashemi. She is an elementary school teacher here at Ute Meadows Elementary. We are in Ute Meadows Elementary School right now. And uh, it's empty. It's the summertime. And we are conducting this interview in an empty classroom. The air conditioning is not on in this building. And uh, I'm excited uh, to be here with Mrs. Hashemi, uh, who, by the way, full disclosure, was my daughter's third grade teacher and will be my daughter's, my, my oldest daughter's fourth grade teacher as well. So I've, I've just deeply appreciated the impact that she's had, not just on my kid, but like on our family and the example that she's set for my daughter about what it just means to be a loving, caring human being. I'm excited to talk about connecting with kids and connecting as a, as a teacher and just human connection overall. Krista, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was a really nice introduction. 
I hope it was. Well, thank I, you. I hope I didn't screw it up. You you said you've been you've been a teacher. This is your tenth year being a teacher. Yes, exactly. A full decade now. Does it get worse every year or better every year? It gets better every oh, year. Oh. <laughs> right? I guess some parts, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think it gets better every year. So I had this thought before we started our conversation. I wondered which is harder, connecting with kids, connecting with parents, or connecting with your colleagues here at school that you work with, the teachers and the principals and all the other people like that? That's great. I think that I would say parents because it, I have the least amount of connection to them. Really? I'm constantly wondering how I'm perceived because the little bit, they don't see the, they don't see me open the door in the morning. Yeah. They don't see me doing these daily things. They kind of see the, hey, don't forget, we got to wear a tie dye here, email. They see the nasty note on what went home in the Friday <laughs> folder. They see the like the nice note that goes home every, you know, on that. I always wonder how I'm coming across. Yeah. And if it's too much, I was, am I communicating enough? Am I communicating too little? Am I communicating with them as a whole group or individually enough? Do you hear back from them? Do you hear... Oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to go nasty right away. Do you get criticism from parents, like directly? Oh, my goodness. Really? Yes. I mean, criticism is a nice way to put it. Oh, no, really? Yeah. You get hate mail. Oh, I get like hate mail, like get the security. It's yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're dealing with people and their kids. And then so when they don't like the way and that's also when they don't like the way you approach them or their kids. And again, that relationship that's been built ahead of time, I think is so yeah. important. That's why I always try to find a way to have a positive interaction with a parent early on Yeah. in some way in that first week, that first two weeks that I reach out in some way to say, I can build this relationship or just know that I'm here for the right reason. So then if we do have to have a conversation later, then we can do that. I remember that I really try to, it's tough at the beginning of a year if you have to reach out to a family quickly before you think you've had a chance to build that relationship. And so I think that with parents, they just don't see all of it. And yeah. so, yeah, when when you come to them in a way where they feel like either you don't know them or you don't know their kid, that definitely, I understand a, a reaction like that. But yeah, I mean, I think that I hear it a lot. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, when you say we're having a hard time with little Billy or little Susie with this particular behavior or this particular skill set or whatever, Parents take it personally, right? Because it's not just about their kid. It's about them. Exactly. And it's about the insecurities that they brought with them exactly. as a parent, right? Like exactly. And I think that what I've learned is that if you can show a parent that you see the whole, like you said, being seen, yeah. I know these kids inside and out. I don't see them for that action at all. Yeah. I think that that makes all the world of difference, whether they're willing to hear that or know that about you, yeah. I think is different. But I think that, yeah, when they know that I am actually talking to you because I so deeply care about the development of your child, then, and it's, it's behaviorally and academically, I think I see the same thing. Yeah. It's hard to hear negative things about your kid or get serious feedback. Too. Yeah. I, I get that. Well, I'm sure positive things probably don't always, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So here's some assumptions I'm throwing at this conversation. And maybe this is about me. I should use eye language here. <laughs> like, but when you know, when I bring my kid into your class, yeah. I both know that my kid comes with all the all the challenges that I grew up having, right? Mm -hmm. and probably amplified by some level, but also all the things that I'm super proud of, right? Like, right. all the things about me that I think are just the bee's knees, right? And then, 
And then I hand them over to you and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for you to tell me that I'm, I'm the greatest parent or that they're the greatest kid because they're just like me. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's, that's gotta be so hard in the relationship building between you and parents and maybe even between you and the kids too. Right. Well, and that speaks to you too, because I remember a conversation with you during our conferences and that you were willing to reflect on you and that you said that you go, wow, I feel like I'm hearing (laughs) about myself. And Mm -hmm. I've heard that. And I actually hear that from dads Mm -hmm. way more than I hear that from moms around the conference table. Exactly. And so I think that what's really interesting is I don't hear back very much from the positive. Mm -hmm. I get It's interesting. I'll get crickets. You know, you send that email to celebrate or you send that note and the thing and it's like just the signature, you know, nothing. And so it's interesting. I wonder if parents are thinking, I don't want to jump on. Yep, you're right. My kid's the (laughs) best thing. You're totally, it's interesting. And so I I definitely get more of a reaction if I say something for the one negative thing you say versus the 10 positive. I don't get like, no one looks at me and says, well, she's great because I'm great. Yeah, That's right. it. So when it reflects in that conversation, you go, wow, that sounds a lot like me and yeah. that, you know, and that makes sense. All right. So this brings up another question for me. So if you could get parents to connect with their kids in one different way at home, you know what I mean? So that when they showed up to school, they were actually more prepared mm-hmm. or I mean, again, I'm, I'm trying to combine sort of social excellence and what I imagine, what I know as a parent, what I know my kids struggles with. Right. But I got to believe if there's lack of meaningful human connection at home, like real, like heart to heart stuff. Right. The, the, the heavy conversations, the maybe even the challenging conversations or, or the celebratory conversations. Right. Maybe that's the one that, that they need right. to hear more. I don't, I don't know. Well, like if you could you know, wave a magic wand, parents did this differently at home so that their kids showed up here better prepared to learn and be successful at school. What is that? What is that thing? I think it has to do with struggle. I think it has to do with growth mindset and emotional vocabulary. I think we don't teach people how to talk about how we feel. We don't teach kids to name their emotions. Yeah. We don't teach kids to feel okay for having those emotions, how to work through them act them out and then reflect later on how that worked. I yeah. think that like how you kind of wrote to, you said that you view this as an inspirational podcast more yeah. than an academic podcast. Yeah. And I wrote that down. I, I thought that sums up what I think I do as a teacher. I don't mm. view myself as an academic teacher. I view myself as an inspirational. And I think that that's what kids are coming to me right now. Lacking is the ability to express what they're feeling, why they're feeling it and feel okay with it. Mm. And then problem solve and have that growth mindset of, this is the struggle. This is the power of yet. This is, it's not my best right now. I think it is. And how could I make it even better? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that would be, and whether it's in the way of like, what was your, how'd you make the world better today? Mm-hmm. Or what's your high and low? Or what problem did you solve today? Mm-hmm. Like questions like that, I think have really changed the way I'm raising my now you know, almost kindergartner. Yeah. And it makes me think about that. I want to hear about those things in the day because that's what matters. I don't care if you have your multiplication table memorized. Yeah. I want to know how you connected to other people, to, to yourself and what you did when you had a doggy paddle. Yeah. Naming your emotions like that, just that phrase, such a simple phrase, something that we as adults would use in whatever mm-hmm. pop psychology conversation we might be having. But for kids, I mean, to have emotional vocabulary, that's probably, uh, I don't know, uh, teachers probably know that that's what you're saying. But that's, that, that phrase to me is powerful. Right. 
It's not part of teaching. No. It's it's not part of any of our curriculum. It's not part of anything. When they come in and they have this 28-point matrix that they're grading me on as an effective teacher, nothing in there says, (laughs) hey, have you taught them how to, you know, do any of this emotional vocabulary or two? And then every now and then we throw in this once a week, you got the school psychologist who splits between three different schools and is never really here. And Mm -hmm. how can you do that? And for 10 minutes, he stands in front of the class and goes, you know, Use your lizard brain and, you know, and how effective is that? We so desperately need this. And I think that that's a lot of the results of the things I think are happening in the world because we just don't take the time to do that. Imagine if people graduated from high school with just one additional skill. And that skill was to be able to name their emotions and to say, this is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm feeling right now. This Mm -hmm. is why I'm expressing it the way I'm expressing it. And this is what it's probably doing to our conversation and our relationship right now. Like, if they had that skill set, not that I have that skill set 100% of the time. I don't at like, all, exactly. But I'm aware that I need it. For sure. But can you, I mean, to your point of what's happening in the world, like it's a messy world out there. And, and it's a, it's also a lonely world out yes. there, right? Like yes. you got to see that. you got to see that with kids, third, fourth grade. And that, that's got to be about the time when these kids start to isolate themselves. They start to, for a thousand reasons, mm-hmm. right? How does that show? So I've been I've been thinking about in preparation for this conversation, just the sort of that inclusion, I guess, is the the only word that comes to mind. Like in then exclusion, those those moments when inclusion doesn't happen in your childhood, in these really important formative years, that sticks with you. Those scars, those scars, I mean, they keep showing up, you know, throughout the rest of your life, right? Yes. That I feel like I see that a lot. And I think my husband's just struggling right now because our daughter is going to kindergarten. So she's starting to get into this, oh, someone said something mean. And he's feeling her, you know, those high highs and those low lows and those impacts of, oh, I came home lonely today. No one would play with me at recess. And I think that it's in a blessing that I see it so much that I see how resilient these kids are Mm -hmm. and how I can see something really sad happen in a corner where someone wants to do that. And that stuff breaks my heart. I do little things like small choices. I try to, I explain to the kids that I say, you can work in a group of three so that that solves the problem that if you have the two, the three friends that if you have a group of two, then that third wheel always, always out, you mm-hmm. know? And then I explain to them that way, if there's four of you or you can't figure out, then just two and two and sit close. And so I build in structures so that I give them excuses to celebrate mm-hmm. with each other and to join. And I tell the kids that I don't care who finishes first. I care when I walk around, if I hear you saying, oh, I hear what you're saying in that accountable talk behind you. Mm -hmm. I disagree because, Mm -hmm. oh, that reminds me of the strategy I used. And I tell them it's all about, I care about how you're collaborating Mm -hmm. and how you are including and reacting. And that's what matters to me. It's not about, you know, who finished first and who finished best. Yeah, those, uh, I don't know if I'm using this phrase correctly, but sort of those, those little small choice classroom management techniques, right? <laughs> it makes me think, I don't know who's going to listen to this podcast. And there's probably some, you know, senior level manager at some Fortune 500 company who who gets their hands on this podcast at some point. And for me, like drawing the connection between like the simple, the simple yeah. group dynamics of if there's three, if there's two, if there's four in a group, like those dynamics are different. And the same 
playground drama that happens in fourth grade happens in the boardroom, happens in the office, happens next to people's cubicle, right? Exactly. It's the same stuff. It doesn't end. That's why that emotional vocabulary, it's going to help you here. If you can build this here, it will help you at your next interview. Mm -hmm. It will help you in your marriage. It will help you as a mom or a dad. Mm -hmm. It will help you no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I encourage them to work together, but we talk about ways we can work together Hmm. and that it can look very different, that you need to establish those norms before you even jump into that work. Are we going to work together at the exact same time? Am I going to work on this page? You're going to work and then we're going to touch base at the end. And so we talk about kind of naming those norms and developing them as that moment in time. And I think that's really, now that you're saying that, how that can apply to a different setting into a business world, that would work. So I've got to ask the sort of the origin story question, not how did you become a teacher, but like something I, I just very much admired throughout this year when you were Elliot's teacher was really the, like your heart seems to be at the front of every interaction and, and, the, and every point of communication, whether it's an email or I remember that <laughs> I remember my wife and I were, were, were sitting in here in your classroom on the like meet the teacher night, like at the beginning mm-hmm. of the school year. And you were giving a little presentation up here at the, your magic whiteboard and all that stuff. And I remember, like, I was near tears. Like you were talking about like learning objectives and I'm, I'm like welling up like, <laughs> right. Oh, this is perfect. Like somebody oh, wow. who cares first, somebody who just is like maybe emotionally aware first and understands that that's what these kids need. And for that matter, that's what parents need. Like we need to be loved. <laughs> we need to be totally. loved first. Right. Yes. I, I, I want to know, where you learn that. I want to know why that seems natural to you. Hmm. That's a good question. I think that I always, every teacher looks back and they think of their first few years of teaching mm. and they're like, oh God, those poor kids. What do you know? <laughs> thank God. How are they doing now? What did I do wrong? Did anyone learn to read? And because um, I started out in a building, um, my first two years of teaching, it was my first interview, um, got the first interview, took what you can get, you yeah. know, fresh out. Teaching world's kind of hard. And yeah. it was in DPS and it was right in the middle of the um, the housing projects and bars on the windows. And, you know, I come from, you know, Littleton in yeah. here. And so this was, is in Denver. This is in exactly. The, yeah, yeah. And so it was, um, and then I go there and I'm in this classroom. I've got 30 kids and we've got seven different languages in my room. And it was so difficult to connect and um, find a place. And then I feel like you're just, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah. And then I realized then as a teacher, when I thought I was going to be teaching these kids phonics, I was teaching these kids, we uh, had a, a grant that gave us fresh fruit at the end of the day because mm. these kids, and then we'd send them home with fruit. Yeah. But I had to teach them what parts of this fruit they could eat or not eat. They'd never peeled something. Wow. They didn't know what a pit was. Yeah. And that's when I think I had that. I thought I was going in there. I was going to be like cool. And, not, oh, what's that movie with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh, yeah. Oh, what is that movie? Uh, Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds. Yeah, there's a thought, song, You know, right? exactly. Yeah. I need a bomber jacket. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go in there and we're going to teach them and we're going to do this. And I realized... I, in the middle of that, as I'm teaching these kids that kind of stuff and I'm buying them backpacks because they don't have them, I went, this is, Mm. I'm not an academic teacher. Mm. I'm an inspirational teacher. Yeah. And then I think too, becoming a mom changed everything Mm. to me. That Mm. was really where I kind of was able to go. I'm not working for the boss here. I'm not working for, I don't care what my data looks like. Yeah. What power? And so I originally actually went to school to become a school psychologist, a school counselor. And I remember sitting in this room in college and then getting, you know, they have the flow chart of you have to do this, then you have to do this, and you have to do this. And I'm like, wow, I'm 10 years away from even sitting down with these kids that need help. 
And I'm only going to get the rare occasions where we have the funding for this one kid. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm a teacher, I get to be there day in and day out. I get to be there constantly for that. This is what I want to do. And then I think... I am just, I'm a, I'm an emotional person. I, I feel, I feel big feelings. I'm a crier. I tell the kids that too. And I think yeah. that when I started about four years ago, putting that in my slide and it was hard to be vulnerable with that. Yeah. I said, I told the parents, I said, I think about your kids the first thing when I wake up in the morning and yeah. I celebrate you guys at my dinner table. Yeah. And I yeah. think about them yeah. before I fall asleep. And because I do, yeah. and I realize these parents need to hear that. Yeah. They need to know that. And that's another reason I love Class Dojo as well. Yeah. I think it's that insight that yeah. Class Dojo is the website yeah. where we show I the get, app that I, yeah, I exactly. get updates every day of what's going on. You, t- you post a picture or a video every day. Like pretty regularly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think it builds that relationship you can see. And then on top of it, you can kind of see that. Who did, who did Elliot choose to work yeah. with today? Yeah. Or that kind of thing. And so I think that if I learned early on that if I show these parents and kids that I care, then we hit the ground running that I see these kids more hours a day than my own children. And I tell the kids that, and I think that's the difference is I'm more honest emotionally with my students than teachers tend to be. It's hard to be. I tell them how I'm feeling. Uh, Well, as as one parent, like I think that's the stuff that works, right? Like that's the, not to, and that vulnerability, though, it's almost like cliche to be like authentic and self-disclosure. Right. But no, it's not cliche because nobody does it you like can't. in any in any job, but especially as teachers. Right. Exactly. And so and that's exactly it. When I, I and I think that that then opens the door for them to feel more comfortable with saying, hey, I feel this way. Yeah. And when you're not just this robotic person up there where you just serve this one purpose of teacher and that's I think I wear many many hats and I embrace that exactly that if we uh, you know I like a a kid that needs that connection that relationship more so than you just grade papers I have kids in the classroom that will not tell me a thing about their lives ever once but we can connect I'll ask those questions then I have some kids that before we walk in the door I know what they ate last night I know I know how what mom said that she shouldn't have said I know you know you know all that (laughs) stuff so I think that that's also why I think then when you can tie that into what you're teaching, then suddenly when you're able to talk about your emotions and why this matters big picture, then when you're reading that story about that main character who had that triumph, it's not just a book. It's yeah. about human experience yeah. and history. It's about human experience. Yeah, yeah. You make me think I've got like three giant thoughts running in my head right now. So we'll just pick one. But you, you said, I'll rephrase something that I heard you say it sounded to me like you were describing yourself as not just a teacher in a box, like in the teacher box, but like a human who like, what a thing to teach kids. Like this is not just the teacher in a box or your boss who is the boss in the, but like these are humans with real emotions and real families and real care and real like complexities. Right. Yes. And to, to be able to uh, be an example of that for kids early on, yeah. because so often when I, right, maybe not you, but when I think back to teacher, most of my teachers, they're just the teacher in a box. I saw them for 50 minutes at a time and then I would move to the next, right? My high school teachers or absolutely even my elementary school teachers were, you know, yeah. they were just the people who kept me disciplined and took care of me from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I went home, right? Exactly. Like, to be somebody, uh, to be like fully human kids is a... I don't know that they get to see that that right. often, do they? I don't think they do. And one thing I started doing is apologizing. 
Oh, wow. To them. Yeah. And I even joke, I said to my husband, I said, I, we should probably do it at home too with our own kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. we need to model this like, hey, you know what? I lost, I, I lost my patience yeah. too soon there. Yeah. And, you know, reflecting on that and being honest about that, yeah. I think is really, really huge. We've got this series of things that we use to teach social excellence lessons called be the person, right? There are all these phrases. And one of them is be the person who apologizes first. And uh, I think about that as a dad. I, I absolutely, there are moments when I've got a, it is really hard it is when I'm trying to be the, you know, teach this kid a lesson for the rest of their life, but you know, like mm-hmm. stand your ground. No, like this need to be softened. They, I need to soften so that they can soften. Right. Totally. Like, and that is not the easiest thing to do. I want to comment on something else you said a little bit ago. Maybe when you became a mom, I think you said you made, you sort of made this choice where I'm not going to let the metrics of the district or whoever the power at hand is determine how I define success in my role. And what power? Once you decided that, like yeah. what power? I I'll, I'll, I don't want to make this about me, but I'll share that I, I had like a, a similar epiphany at one point, not about who was my boss, but more about what, what was my job? Like, yeah. I, I really had the thought like, oh, I don't have to like go back to school to become this thing that I want to be. Yeah. I can just be it. I can just be Why it. Why don't I just be it? And like what power in, in a decision like that to, uh, I'm just going to be that, you know, whatever I had defined in my mind. I'll, I'll say that it was like, I, I had written down, I want to be a preacher someday, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I don't, I don't actually want to be a quote unquote preacher. I want to inspire people to live the life that they're capable of, right? And I had put myself in a box where I taught this this skill set, or I was mm-hmm. just this. And then I said, "No, like, why don't I just preach? Exactly. Like, I've got an audience. I got people. I got right. Like, there are That's places perfect. in my life, right? Because yeah. you found that it wasn't necessarily the the role; it was what they could do. Yeah, the way you, the way you, the box you put yourself in or let yourself out of maybe is the, exactly. uh, uh, and then you find, at least for me, I found that as soon as I was able to let go and then when I can tell a parent, it's going to work out. Yeah. They're not, they're struggling now. They can't read and write the way you want them to right now. It's going to work out. We've got to stop doing this. And as soon as we let the pressure go, yeah. Um, even when you know you're not you don't have to do the kill and drill yeah. when people have that peace of mind and that freedom and that yeah, yeah that they can grow all right new question uh were you cool when you were growing up i was like cool that's a great question huh. well yeah i think it was cool yeah that's great yeah i think it was cool i think that i uh, that's awesome i think i i think it was cool because i could hang out with all different groups uh, yeah and i think that's what also made my husband cool too we actually my husband and i met in middle school really we met in middle school we went to middle school and high school together and no, all that. Awesome. we always had mutual friends and that kind of thing and i was always super drawn to him because he was that kind of guy yeah. who could, um, and I think, but what I, I guess what was nice is I grew up in a place where cool was defined by being good at something. Mm-hmm. Cool was defined by having something that you could contribute mm-hmm. that I loved it because I loved sports. I loved theater. I loved this. I had that kind of friend. And so I think that that was, um, that was nice. And then I think that that gave you the kind of confidence that I didn't have to necessarily work too hard to fit in because yeah. I felt good yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And so, but I, I also like really love, I feel like I'm cool because I'm such a geek, Mm -hmm. like how you said, I geek out on this. And I think because I, I can, I have passions and I like certain things. And I think that I define cool as 
likings and whether it's the dorkiest Star Trek thing ever, if you yeah. love it and you're passionate and you can share it, then I think that's super cool. Yeah. So I guess not by any standard right. or right. at all, right. but I, I felt cool. And I guess that's all that it matters. Oh, that's a cool thing. I felt cool. Yeah. So my maybe what brought the question up was I think about we talked about inclusion and exclusion earlier and I was sort of thinking about the lonely kid when I asked that question. But on the other side of it, like I think about the pressure to fit in yeah. versus the pressure to sort of be you, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in whatever that is. And I mean, you guys right now, especially third, fourth grade. Man, and how is, do you teach someone to be polite and that other people's feelings matter, but also stick up for yourself? Oh, yeah. How do you find that yeah. where you can't get run over? And I think about that a lot with, you know, with females, my my own daughters, I really want to give them the power to the power of like, no, and feel good about themselves, but also preaching the power of connection and understanding where other people come from. It's funny you wrote that about the third grade and how they're, I always, because I hadn't taught third grade before, and that was my huge right away noticing was mm. the difference between third and fourth socially was enormous. Really? Third grade was, I have never had so much drama. Mm-hmm. And I remember always seeing outside of the third grade classroom doors, there was gaggles of kids, you know, that were, and then they were doing the eye messages and so many recess problems. And I'm like, that looks like work over there, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like, what's happening? And then sure enough, I get a bunch of third graders in my room and it was constant. I've never had to quite, and I did second grade before, so it was almost like they were too young to yeah. So I kind of reflected and I thought third grade, it's almost like they were also reactive. They're all smart enough now to these social experiences. They're reacting to them. Oh my goodness, someone did this. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time they're kind of experiencing it. Maybe not the first time they're experiencing it, but the first time they're old enough to maybe feel it Mm. and understand that kind of thing. And I think it's all reaction. And I think they're trying to find their place. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting this year. I had more kids that didn't have there's someone mm. and that, really? yeah, I've never had so many. And I keep, I wondered if it's, maybe it's this batch, but it's hard for me when I have kids that don't have their someone. Yeah. There was a great practice that some, and it's probably fake and it's probably just gone viral, sure. but a teacher asks the kids to write down their three friends yeah. every week. Yeah. And she looks through to see who doesn't get written yeah. down and that kind of thing. And that's what I kind of, that's where I'm at. I look around and I go, who, who panics when you say find a partner yeah. or, you know, that kind of thing. Who doesn't have, who feels lonely to me? That's so interesting. We, uh, in some of our other work, we teach organizations like how to keep their members together. Right. And we always ask just such a simple question that seems so obvious, but nobody ever thinks to ask it. And that is who's the one person who doesn't have a friend group in your organization. And everybody can name that person, like immediately. Uh, everybody knows who it is. Exactly. And so the next step is, okay, we'll call them. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, take them out to coffee. And? Take them right, yeah. right, right. And with kids, like, they're so on the surface, right? Like, they're yes. so, you can see it. And you can see if, if they're not literally in a friend group, if they don't have their someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be risky for them in a thousand different ways, it's right? It's got to be. Yeah. And it's weird. It's been interesting to see it. At, I mean, these kids are coming in here, what, eight years old? Yeah. And that then, you know, and they all have, it's just, it's a tiny, we're just tiny adults. Yeah. It's amazing how, and then they find who they think fits their mold. And then you get the new kid and you meet the new kid and I'm going, this kid is going to gravitate right toward <laughs> the one kid. Yeah. I don't want you. And it's yeah. like, sure boom, enough. they yeah. can find each other. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that, I, in my classroom, I really promote that. Look around. If there's someone at a lunch table mm-hmm. that's alone, 
what can you do? And we talked about that filling buckets and how I love that because it's just such a great metaphor for kids. And I talk about how it's scary to do this. And I name that kind of stuff. I don't think people are willing to talk about how it's really scary to put yourself out there, to be curious, to be generous, to be authentic, to be vulnerable. It's so hard. Good job. Good job. Thank you. I've got my list here. Exactly. I I love those things. And so I think that those are the things we need to name. And I love that you kind of narrowed it down because I think that those four things, when I said, like, let's go home and ask these questions, Mm -hmm. we should ask that kind of question. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I have kids. I challenge them before we go to lunch and recess. I say, I challenge you to find someone today that you've never sat with. Mm -hmm. I challenge you to play a new game today. Mm -hmm. I challenge you to not be competitive today Mm -hmm. at recess. And so I kind of set these little challenges and it speaks to, I mean, it's so clear how much parent uh, kids hear that because yeah. a kid like Elliot jumps on that yeah. and reports back to me after hey I didn't do it but I saw this one kid yeah. do it or can yeah. celebrate that or some other kid you know uh, you know Bobby or Susie's like what is she talking about yeah, I'm right. going to the cookie line and that's all I care yeah. about you know yeah. and some you just meet them where they're yeah. at it reminds me of a couple years ago when maybe when my oldest was in second grade we were out like before school and all the other kids were out there and there were there were these handful of girls who were they were just kind of being, they weren't being mean, but they were, you know, kind of clicky and stuff. And I had built a relationship with them. I talked to them every morning and just joked around with them every morning. And I was like, Hey girls, what, what about this? And they're like, this is second grade or something. Right. I'm like, what if, what if you guys started a club? And they're like, Oh yeah, a club. And I'm like, what if you guys were like the, the nice kid club? And like you, your whole thing was like a secret. And on the playground, you just, you were nice to people and maybe you try to bring other people into your nice kid club. And they're like, okay, okay. Uh-huh. At night, I, you know, Elliot comes home and tells me, oh, the nice club kid club was so awesome today. That's we did It only lasted like three days, but like, we just have to like plant the idea, right? Like, yes. like, and make the, the daily challenge and make it interesting. And, exactly. And uh, kids want to be really nice to each other. I really think they, they do, do, especially if they've got examples in their life where they know what that feels like, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think they're also intuitively fully tuned into the kids who need it most, yeah. right? And they're scared of that. And they're scared of, they're scared of all the stuff that comes with interacting with and trying to befriend the kids who are lost and hurt. And, Absolutely. But they know. They yeah. do. Something happened today. I had a parent uh, this last year. I had, a, you know, one of my students, she always, you know, some students need more reminders and more touch, you know, you got to touch base with them more. And yeah. um, I remember, because uh, it's a colleague and her daughter said to her, you know, I hope Miss Hashemi likes so-and-so. Mm. And it made me so aware of, are the other kids hearing my positive interactions? But I do think they are, but they're going to go home and feel the like, oh, you had to redirect the negative a little bit more. Exactly. So how can we promote the nice? How can we really show that we all are, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll close up our conversation here in a minute. Um, and again, not to make it about me, but I normally do make this about me in some, some way. Maybe this podcast is all just my therapy session with different, different I'll take volunteer it. Me therapists. Too. Yeah. So thank you. Um, but I think about uh, uh, one of the things I do in my life that I'm most proud of that most people don't know I do is, is coach both the girls' baseball and soccer teams. I say I'm most proud of because I think if I could design a career for myself, it would be a volunteer youth sports coach for kids who don't really know how to – like I'm not good at the sports necessarily, right? but – and two hours a week, like loving these kids. Right. I think like I watch it like these kids 
beam. Like they're so grateful for just a positive attention, something to do, somebody saying their name over and over and over. Yes. Somebody like just uplifting them and telling them good shot, even if it wasn't like I, maybe maybe we're giving them too many ribbons and trophies. I don't care, but I do know that they don't have nearly enough love in their life. They don't have nearly enough people telling them that they're they're worthy. You know what I mean? And right. anyway, that's because I know the fulfillment I get from doing that and watching you the way you teach is maybe one of the things that draws me to this conversation because I, I admire that in you and to be able to do that day in and day out. And this is your tenth year. And uh, you don't even get a pin for 10 years. You don't even get a, a ribbon or right. anything. I got a Starbucks today out of it well, from you. So thank yeah, you. You're welcome. Right? You're, well, you deserve that iced coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I need all the caffeine in the world. Yeah. yeah. yeah and then I, I'm also, I kind of view myself as an extroverted introvert yeah. and ambivert. And exactly. I think that I, I feel the, in a good way, I understand that the way I stand in front of these kids every single day mm-hmm. impacts how they leave yeah. and how they interact with their families. I do understand that I can change someone's life mm-hmm. in a very negative or a very positive way. And I do, I, I wear that weight in a good way. It's exhausting sometimes, yeah. but I think that I always tell the kids, I don't care if you got a four today. I care that you left with a bigger heart. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I say I care just as much about your heart as your head. Yeah. And so I feel like we're talking as much about that kind of thing as we are, you know, and then that's why then when you have to have that conversation with someone, then, then, you know, when they want, they see that good side of you. And then when they've disappointed themselves or we need to grow, then you've built that. So it's all, then it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is there one last thing uh, to close with? It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just curious what's on your heart. I think back to you, you named a handful of questions that people should, you know, parents could ask their kids after school. I'm one who sometimes I don't always have the right question to ask, but if I prepare and have like four questions that I'm going for, like, turns out it makes the conversation a whole lot better, right? Right. Instead of just being like, how was your day? Not just with my kid, like with everybody in my life. (laughs) Right. Right. So that comes to mind. Uh, Even just a a tip, a philosophy that you use to connect with kids because you're fantastic at it. And I'm sure other people would just want to, not just teachers, right? Like people have kids in their life. And I think a lot of us, a lot of adults, we're so practiced in connecting or faking connection with adults that we right. we don't even know where to start with kids. So we you know right. talk over the top of them or whatever. And anyway, I'm, is there one last thing that's on your heart that you feel uh, like our podcast listeners, all probably 20 million of them at this point well, would like to hear? Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. I think that it's just about being willing to not just talk, but listen. Hmm. And that when you can show someone that you heard them and that you do see them for what they are. I think that's huge. Yeah. I think that that's when, when I do that with kids, when I do that with family, when I do that with friends, then that's the difference. And I think that's what I'm seeking. I think that's what we're all seeking. Yeah. I think when we come down to it, all we all are seeking is love Yeah. and it, however that looks. Yeah. And so I think that, it's amazing when you can show it because you get as much out of it. I go home and I think about, oh my goodness, that kid wrote me that note and thought about me last night, you know, and, and I, how can I show him I'm thinking yeah. that same way? Yeah. Exactly. And that it's just it's so much bigger than yeah. us. And I think you just have to move forward knowing that um, what we do matters 
And even if we don't remember it, we're helping, we're building ourselves and each other along the way. And that's a beautiful thing. That's uh, your, the comments about the, the note, right? Like kids will write these notes. I, I see my kids write their notes to their teachers that are like, you know, you're the greatest teacher ever in the world, Mrs. Shemi. Like, uh, thank you for being such a great teacher. And it's so like simple, but raw, right? Like, like right. to the extent that they have an emotional vocabulary, like they're trying as hard exactly. as they can to put it on paper. And like, what a, those little things, I think those little things are like, oh, okay, nice. Right. And as a parent, you end up with like a thousands of right. little notes or, you know, I've got a Father's Day trophy or whatever. Right. Like, right. but like that is, that's them. Like, 100% open heart. Like, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm giving it to you. And that's why I love kids. Yeah. Because they will. When you open the door, they just wear their hearts in their sleeve. Yeah. PTA did this cool thing for Teacher Appreciation Week yeah. and where you had to fill out that little questionnaire. Like, my favorite thing about your class was this year. And, yeah. and it was interesting who printed it out and said, you know, do it. Yeah. So that It's always telling. And then one really stuck with me this year that just got me so huge. And it said, I love your class because, and he wrote, because you make me feel safe. Oh, and that really, you know, that sticks with me. And I, and I reflect, I'm like, is he talking about emotionally? Is he talking about when we have to hide in the corner during drills? Yeah. Is he talking about, because I don't let them run around the corner when we go to recess because there's gravel and it scares me and I don't want to <laughs> get on the walkie talkie and call an ambulance, <laughs> you know? And it yeah. just, I think that exactly that if you give them these opportunities, they blow your mind. You make kids feel safe. Thanks for my, making my kids feel safe. Thanks for doing this. I know this was not the ideal way to spend Well, you it. made me feel safe with it. Well, so, good, yeah, good. thank you. Uh, good job uh, on a summer weekday morning coming into the school and uh, having this conversation. Thank you, Krista. I appreciate thank you. it. Thanks for having me. You make me feel safe. Man, what a thing. What a, what a note to get from a student, but what a compliment to get from literally anybody. Making people feel safe, maybe that's, a, that's another key component of how to build great conversations, interactions, and in relationships. Man, if somebody doesn't feel safe, you can't go there. You can't be vulnerable. That's a goal for the rest of your week. How can you make people feel safe in your little momentary interactions, in your longer conversations, and while you're standing in line at the, at the coffee shop and having a short conversation with somebody how can we help people lower their shoulders and feel safe? Just little things, little choices that we make to make people feel safe. People need that in their life. There are a lot of places where they don't feel safe. And maybe social excellence is a call for you to create those environments of safety, those moments of safety for people in your life, for family members, for coworkers, for friends. Ah, anyway, I love that insight from Krista. I love this whole interview. I'm so, so grateful that Krista Hashemi joined me for this episode of the People People Podcast. And I hope you found some meaningful insight. I hope you found some inspiration because I know that's what she was going for and that's what I was going for. Thanks for joining this episode of the People People Podcast. As always, you can learn everything you want to know about us at social-excellence.com or peoplepeoplepodcast.com. If you're looking for us on social media, try Instagram or Twitter in particular, and you'll find us at the handle at social excellence. There's no E in excellence in our handle. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Until next time, stay social, stay excellent. See you around.